Beware of Monsters will end right after this. Hello and welcome to the Beware of Monsters podcast, where we talk novels, comics, movies, and monsters. <laughs> Presented by me, international best-selling novelist and comic book writer, Jeremy Robinson, and hosted by Christopher Willette. Welcome, dear listener. This is the Beware of Monsters podcast, and I am your host, Christopher Willette. We have a great show for you today. We have Larry Blammeyer. Larry Blammeyer has a ton of accomplishments. We're going to discuss so much, and you're, I mean, you're going to have a deep entertainment hole to fall into after you listen to this if you are not already familiar with his work. And if you are familiar, it is so cool to get to talk to him. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. And as you know, because I've tried to be upfront with you about this, this is the final episode of Beware of Monsters. And I, I think this is pretty cool that it's Larry, because when um, Jeremy and I were first hashing out what this show would be and essentially figuring it was mostly going to be interviews with creatives who um, work with monsters... I just immediate gut reaction, bam, 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 listed off five people in the, wouldn't it be so cool if we got to talk to these people? And um, one of them from the list, Doug Tenaple, was one of our first interviews. Really, ch- check it in the list. He's there. It was, it's a great interview. And then um, still would love to talk to Scott Derrickson, Alice Cooper, and M. Night Shyamalan, but on that list as well is Larry Blammeyer. So I think it's cool that we had Doug Tenaple at the beginning and here we're ending with Larry. So just without further ado, here is my interview with Larry Blammeyer. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? All right, man. How's it going there? Oh, fantastic. Larry Blammeyer, welcome to Beware of Monsters. Thank you, sir. Now, I, of course, first discovered you, as many people did, from the lost skeleton of Cadavra. Betty, you know what this meteor could mean to science. It could mean actual advances in the field of science. (laughs) Aliens, us... Is this one of your Earth jokes? I have risen! May God have mercy on us all. You don't know the lost skeleton of Cadavra, but you will. You will! And am I saying that right? I've always wondered. Oh, I hope so. Cadavera is pretty much a made-up word, so it's up for grabs. I, I, I go with cadaver. If you made it up, you're the authority. <laughs> the greatest part of science fiction. Yeah. 
Yeah, and since then, of course, I've been following you on Facebook and finding out you are also a playwright, a very accomplished artist, visual artist, and um, now an author. Yeah, I mean, well, I've I've been an author for kind of a while. I mean, uh, uh, well, I I guess I was a playwright before I was an author. Um, I put out my Western short stories a few years ago, Tales of the Calamo Mountains, uh, but writing a novel, that was a first for me. And, and, and so uh, we have Suburb at the Edge of Never, Doc Armstrong, Suburb at the Edge of Never. Which is a continuation of the character, or at least one character from The Lost Skeleton, right? Oh, many. Oh, okay. <laughs> many, yeah. Uh, the only ones I'll tell you about are Betty, of course, because that's Dr. Paul Armstrong's wife. Um, and they live in the uh, uh, the Blend view neighborhood um, in the suburbs and their next door neighbors are their good friends uh, crowbar and lattice who are now um, uh, you know going as uh, living as earth people we're trying to trying their best so is it a political statement on immigration or just wacky fun oh yeah no absolutely no <laughs> it's no I'll never make a statement if I ever make a statement uh, please just shoot me um, you know of course, there's all kinds of subtext there. I'll bet if you scratch the surface, you're going to find a lot of subtext there. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> now, that, is that your attitude with art? Because, I mean, the skeleton movies are obviously very lighthearted fun, but they, like, I feel a passion from them. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you were just thinking these movies are silly and I'm going to remake them, but there seems to be a passion for the source material, the 1950s sci-fi monster movies that you just turned into comedy. Well, yeah, uh, you know, there is that. I mean, but, but the, that was really just kind of a takeoff point. I, I, I used, you know, 1950s um, low budget sci-fi movies as a, uh, uh, kind of take off for absurdity and, and my, my love of <laughs> pure silliness. Uh, but, you know, someone pointed out recently on Facebook that they liked my movies because of a certain positivism, if I can use a word I just made up. Um, it, that, that there's a, uh, that there, there is an optimistic streak to all of them. And I, and I think that's true because that's, kind of me and I guess that's going to naturally happen you, you you know you don't really set out to do certain things like that but they're going to happen that's stuff personal stuff is going to come out in your art you know whatever it is that is very much what I got out of it and I think it's very cool because I don't know talking to you and interacting with you on Facebook you really seem like the guy who birthed that world like the lost skeleton characters and the way that feels, you have that positive vibe, so I can see where it came through. So hey, I'll bear that on my shoulders, man. I'll take that. <laughs> I'm hefting that load. That's what we're here for, easy lifting. Exactly, easy lifting. I'm not doing the heavy lifting, man. <laughs> the viewers, the viewers and the fans, they can do the heavy lifting. I'm doing the easy part. No, wait a minute. With that, what was it about those characters that made you want to go back and revisit it as a novel? Yeah, I, I think, uh, it, you know, it was probably partially the fact that the fans really, really took to these characters. Um, they liked them, you know, and, and, um, 
and that means all of them, you know, the the the, the aliens and, and and crowbar and lattice and the endless supply of Flemings and um, <laughs> uh, and the various incarnations of Brad, be it Ranger or Jungle, and um, they, they you know they 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 take to these characters and um, and and that encouraged me, but of course I, I mean I never thought I'd do a I don't like sequels really. Uh, That's but, ironic. But I've, as I've said before, um, it is ironic. But as, as, as I've said before, it, w- it was basically um, the idea. I was watching an old, some old Jungle show or something, and and and, and suddenly thought, what if Doctor Paul Armstrong became a bitter alcoholic living in the jungle? The jungle's every place for bitterness. It sows and reaps it like so much cane sugar. The jungle gets into your blood and builds tiny little houses of pain and you better not be there when the rents do because the anaconda funny thing they don't know how to read a lease seems they never learned and the only thing longer than a croc's mouth is the time it takes to swallow you whole so next time you talk to me about jungles and bitterness next time you're trying to find your eyes with both hands just keep that in mind that is if you still have a mind And it seemed so ridiculous that it actually led to something. And the only reason it interested me is because it was different than the, than the first one. I will not repeat. I just don't want to repeat jokes, and I don't want to go over the same ground. Because, you know, no matter who you are, what kind of art you're doing, retread is not exciting. It doesn't get the juices flowing, you know. And 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 um, this idea of, uh, you know, this jungle adventure kind of, you know, it, I got all jazzed about it, and, and 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 so there was inspiration there, and that's where the second one came from. And you know, if there is a third film, uh, which I'd still like to see happen, that will be again different than the first two. No, no, no retread. You know, that's awesome. That in a very weird way, I compare the two skeleton movies to the first two Alien films, where. Well, that's interesting. It's a similar monster and sim like it's the same monster, same characters, but the first Alien film is really a haunted house film from the fifties, and the second one is a sixties. I'm sorry, haunted house film from the forties. The second one is a like them. It literally is them because it has the little girl and the screaming from right. the 1950s. And they like just took these characters and did something different with them, which is what I saw with the lost skeleton is that you had this like monster movie feel for the first one. The second one, yeah, it was the lost world kind of thing that became popular afterwards. Right. I, think, I think that's a, that's a, that's an interesting analogy and I hadn't thought of that, but, uh, but I love both of the, the first two alien films and and they are very very different the mood is different and the second one is certainly uh is more of an action film it is an action film right and um and it's terrific in that way and the and the the two lost skeleton movies are very different i mean they're really parts of of different genres um and it was fun to to get as much saturday matinee feeling into that second film uh, as opposed to the first one, which does not have a Saturday matinee feel to it, and, and of course it doesn't turn into color like like the no. second. One I happen. love that. That was fun. I think that was Mike Schlesinger's idea, but um, I don't remember now. And then you pretty then, much took that cast like they were just 
like you're an acting troupe and made two other films, correct? This Dark and Stormy Night and the Screaming Foreheads? Yeah, Screaming Forehead was earlier. That came actually after the first Lost Skeleton movie. And that was, um, uh, that was actually written, uh, right after we, we wrapped Lost Skeleton. I guess I was still, you know, kind of had the adrenaline pumping in. And, and it was completely different because it's about an alien invasion. It's, it's widescreen, candy colored, you know, <laughs> as, uh, as Mike said, it's, you know, it's a Douglas Sirk's remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it's, <laughs> it's really, you know, a very, it couldn't be any, any more different looking than the, than the, different from the first one, uh, from Lost Skeleton, I mean. It just is, it has a very different look to it. Um, and I used my, the characters, uh, Big Dan Freighter and, and, uh, and his pal Dutch the Swede, Anna Crombie, uh, as the protagonists. Uh, and those are characters that I'm continuing to work with and have fun with. Uh, and Screaming Forehead came from, from, uh, from those, from those characters. And Millie Healy, the librarian, they're, they're essentially a trio of, it's like, it's kind of like the, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, uh, working together. <laughs> Only, only a lot sillier. I almost said stupider, but I don't want to. I don't want to say that. That's not nice. And um, it isn't. Just I know you were just wanting to be nice to the characters and the actors, but that's what I really like. Like your work is silly and fun. It's never stupid. I never like. It's never oh but, laugh at these idiots. Or, no, but I like. I do like using the word stupid though. And I, use, <laughs> I use it regarding myself and the stuff that. I spew on a daily basis. It's just off the wall. Uh, I like calling that stupid, but I also have to say that a lot of the characters are stupid, lovably stupid, I guess. I mean, if you look at, uh, you could argue who's stupid or Dutch, the Swede is, 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 is pretty dumb. He's not too bright. And, um, you know, uh, Roger Fleming. I mean, a lot of these, they're, they're not very bright, these characters. Even Dr. Paul, you know, they're, they're a little uh, endearingly dumb and uh, and simple, um, and you know, and I say that with love. <laughs> now, continuing, Big Dan, he's now in Audio Adventures. On a lonely stretch of miserable and oppressive country road, just as night is beginning its grim, relentless descent. It sure was Jacob, you fellas, to come with me to the newly inherited old farmhouse I inherited. You know what they say, Millie. Any farmhouse of yours. Are we meeting Jake there? It certainly is out in the middle of nowhere. Don't know if I'd call it the middle of nowhere, Big Dan. I mean, since it's right here, more like somewhere. Thanks, Dutch. Let's see. According to the map, we should be coming to Old Turnoff Road right about... There it is. Now. <laughs> this really is fun. But gee, I wish this weather didn't bode unspeakable evil and hidden terror. That kind of thing has ruined more weekends. Well, look at it this way, Millie. At least you'll be in your very own farmhouse when you're murdered. Hey, that looks like something ahead, right amongst those twisted trees that seem to be beckoning us to the gates of hell. And so, the hapless car pulled up before a looming old farmhouse, little knowing what was in store for its unsuspecting inhabitants. And this just fascinated me for two reasons. One, because it's more of your work and more of your humor. And two, I have lately been acquiring on the internet in different ways 
the audio from Power Records from the 70s and 80s. And my kids have been listening to that nonstop. And when I went to your the website for Big Dan Freighter mm-hmm. and started to listen to the samples, I'm like, this is Power Records if they were hilarious and awesome. Now, what? tell me what... I don't know what Power... Oh, that's power. funny. In the 70s and 80s, they had... They were like radio shows, and you got a little comic book and a 45, and sometimes they put them all together in a... Um, actual LP, and it would be like Superman saving the White House from a Christmas tree that was going to explode, or it, like it was Superman, Batman, the Hulk. Um, I think they had Star Trek and Star Wars. So like you'd see the movie, and you couldn't get a VHS of it. It wasn't going to be on TV for twelve years, but you could get this forty-five, hmm. and that's funny that you didn't. Know about those because it just. No, I, I, I absolutely, and thank you for, for telling me what that is. And I absolutely, pre- I should have prefaced my question by keep in mind that I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff that I don't know. People think I know everything, and I don't. I actually, there's a lot of crap that I don't know about, and so I'm learning all the time, and I'm happy to do that. That's um, hilarious. I've never heard of these power records. That's cool. Well, it was really funny because when I started listening to these, it was just like, if the four heads came out in the time period that they supposedly, that movie supposedly came out, mm-hmm. the tie-in would have been Power Records. And this, like, it's the logical extension, but even just the clips on the webpage are hilarious. That night, Big Dan, Dutch, and Millie can't help but wonder. Hey, I can't help but wonder. I sure hope the professor's on the level with us and not an insane killer or something. Millie, I only hope you're right. But until he shows he is an insane killer or something, we'll just have to play along. The next morning finds our heroes on the shore of another strange island, the island of Why Nots. That last island was rocky, and this one's all jungle Interesting. Slowly they begin walking into the dense underbrush. What is it we seek here, Professor? I dared not tell you before, lest you get nervous and run like babies. Here, we must obtain something no foreigner has set eyes on in many a millennium. Many a millennium? Yes. The fabled spatula of why nots. Great merciful centaurs! You've heard of it? No. Thank you. Yeah, we have a lot of fun doing them, and it's um, it it's fun writing them because there's a challenge uh, similar to Tales from the Pub when we were doing those um, a few years ago, and had you know that, that's a two and a half page script right there or a three page script, and there's a challenge of telling a story in that short a time. In this case, if the scripts are a little longer, the segments tend to be a twelve you know a twelve or thirteen page script, uh, but the challenge here is additionally that you, you can't see anything. So on the one hand, it's exciting because you, you get to paint, you get, get to say all this stuff is happening and you don't have to show any of it. So in a way you're, you're going crazy with a low budget, you know, and on the other hand, you know, we have to be, I, 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 we have to keep, when I started writing them, I had like, you know, 12 characters and you can't really do that. On, you, we, we try right. to contain them now and I try to keep it, you know, four, four or five characters tops. We don't want to have too big a cast, you know, in the recording studio. Uh, but they're a lot of fun to do. We're having a great time. Brian Howe is directing them and, and he's 
she's doing a great job and and uh and Allison Martin is um uh, uh uh co-producing with him and and we're we're having a blast and uh uh we're going to keep doing these it's great now are you recording them like all the actors together uh no for instance <laughs> let me give you an example uh the, I wrote a part for Kevin McKidd, and um, uh, and he's uh, he's a good friend of Brian's, and I've met him, and he's he's a great guy, and he's uh, uh, I wrote a part of uh, this police inspector who's sort of a recurring, you know, and and his name is uh, Inspector McBrew McMaster, and um, he has a crazy schedule with his TV show, so so you, we have to, you know, I, I think Brian was actually going and. In recording stuff in his trailer with him. Uh, I mean, it was, it's that kind of like grab him for a few minutes and, 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 and do all this stuff. And, and another example, Phil Proctor, the great Phil Proctor, one of, uh, the Firesign Theater who are my, you know, my heroes. Talk about, you know, talk about, uh, inspiration for Big Dan Freighter. Firesign Theater is a good example. Anyway, we're, we're fortunate enough to have Phil Proctor as a narrator. And, um, uh, he'll come into the, we'll, we'll get, Brian will get him in the studio and, and, and knock off like four episodes at once because he does all just the narrator part, you know, so he doesn't have to interact with anybody. And, and, um, I, uh, recorded parts for, uh, one, um, and, uh, uh, it, it, you know, so it's, it's basically kind of, uh, kind of piecemeal. That's, that is amazing because, you know, comedy works on timing, and the best ensemble comedies, they're bouncing off each other. So when I heard the little samples, and then I just assumed they had to be in the same room, the fact that these guys can give you this kind of performance, and they're all over the place, that that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I think I think now mostly uh, the, three, the three stars, the three protagonists, that's uh, Dan Conroy as Dutch, and... Allison, Allison Martin as, as Millie Healy and Brian himself as, as Big Dan Freighter. They, I, I, I think they will for the most part record their stuff together. Oh, okay. So, but, uh, but Brian's doing a great job at directing this and I, and, and which is, I, I, I believe it's a first for him. Um, and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And I've been doing the graphics, uh, for the, uh, for the various adventures and stuff. And, um, and that's been fun. So, um, so yeah, we're having a great time. We just brought in Jim Beaver, uh, who's a friend of ours. So he was in Dark and Stormy Night as the big game hunter Jack Tugden, and he's such a great guy. And he uh, he did a part, uh, guest star part in one. So yeah, we're uh, we're going strong with those. That so there's the collection that's out now. Is there another one on its way? Uh, yeah, we're recording new episodes. Um, and uh they will be uh they'll be on the way soon and we we don't have uh, any date or anything for that right now um but that will be fairly uh fairly soon i think so um uh the one that jim uh recorded is uh, uh the terror at gulch creek pass uh and i also just i finished one called um big dan freighter in the cubicle of fear <laughs> And uh, um, there's another one I'm working on, Big Dan Freighter in the Not Charted water, Waters. Sorry, Waters, that is. 
Uh, and they're always, it's always Big Dan Freighter and happy Black, party almost like it's a kid's adventure from, from, when from the 50s or 60s or something, you know. Um, yeah. And I love the um, um, Big Dan Freighter and the Escalator of Forgetfulness. Big Dan Freighter, thank heavens you're here. You must be Mr. Murpin, the manager of them all. I can tell by your expectancy and excitement. This is Dutch the Swede Anacrombie. Hello. And Millie Healy, town librarian. Hello, Mr. Murpin. I like your name a lot. I'm so relieved to see you. You're the only ones who can help us. Really? It's our escalator, the one that goes up. The most fantastic thing. Whenever our shoppers get to the top, they forget what they came for. Exact same thing happens to me when I shower. I get in completely dry and come out soaked. That's not even similar. It's exactly the same. Perhaps you should show us the escalator, Mr. Murpin. (laughs) Boy, I like that Mr. Murpin. Uh, yes, please. Right this way. Mr. Murpin, mall manager, wasted no time in leading the trouble-sniffing trio to the bothersome escalator in question. Here is the bothersome escalator in question. Ah, so this is the offending step transporter, eh? People get to the top, and they die. As I said, shoppers arrive at the top and have absolutely no memory of what they've been shopping for. Then they die. No, they go on shopping, but they shop aimlessly, randomly, neglecting their pointed destination, their singular purpose. Doesn't anyone die? No, no one dies. Oh. All right, I guess we can check it out anyway. Now, you mentioned that you're doing the artwork on this, and that's something else I really want to talk to you about. Online, I've been seeing your artwork, which is some of the most unusual pictures i've ever seen like i'm not even sure like is there an art style that we can tag that with or did you invent something new like what is that well you know i you know i've been accused of doing some strange artwork but it it you know it's really if you look at a lot of what i'm doing lately the paintings i'm doing lately are, are sort of categorized as pop surrealism Okay. And, um, which, and believe me, I think there's a lot stranger stuff out there. <laughs> I like to take credit for having the strangest, but I think there's some artwork out there that's a lot stranger in that category. But it's really a part of surrealism, and it's kind of all surrealism, and I'm not sure you can even, I think it's getting harder and harder to define what is pop surrealism and what is surrealism. Me, I just like to start painting, um, and sometimes I'll think about it, and sometimes I, um, uh, you know, kind of just, I'll just start painting like I did recently, uh, just to basically, uh, you know, kind of um, get myself, if I haven't painted in a couple of months, I like to kind of do a refresher. So I will start, uh, just start painting and, uh, and see what happens, you know, um, and it's a good, that's a good kind of, that's a good kind of exercise, I think, and um, you never know what's going to come out. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of cool, uh, and uh, it's funny because I, I'll just be away from painting for just a couple of months because I'm doing other things too. And uh, um, it, it's funny how you have to relearn it because I've been painting for years and years. But you, you kind of have to find it again. You got to find the feel of it again. You know, uh, the feel of the paint. Um, and then once you do, you get, get back into the swing of it. But I'm, I, I'll tend to, I'll do a warm up painting if I've got a, an assignment coming up and I've got a book cover coming up. Um, and so I wanted to kind of uh, do a refresher. Nice. 
Now, the the paintings, almost all the ones I've seen, have some sort of unearthly type creature, which the thing that stands out to me is it they're always such like the pictures draw you in. I like the feel and the way they look. And even if it wasn't a monster, like if you were just painting a person on the beach, I'd be like, wow, that's a really cool look. But then you've got these creatures that I can never quite put my finger on. It's like like the creature from the Black Lagoon is awesome. But he is a man that you draped a fish over. And you can see exactly what that is. And your creatures seem like they look like, wow, that thing exists in this world, but I can never put my finger on where it came that's, from. I think that's 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 good, at least for me, because uh, I, I, I was thinking about it the other day that when I'm, when I'm painting, one of the things that I tend to do is if something starts to look familiar in a certain way, I change it. As soon as I've got like a, an alarm that goes off, because anything that's familiar, I don't want to paint it. And if it starts to look familiar in some kind of way, and, and whether it's a certain uh, resemblance to something else or a certain aspect of, of banality, I, I I I go, I change it. No, I don't want I don't want it to be too easy. I don't want it to be too easy to grasp or to understand. And that is, I think maybe that's one of my rules for for painting a surrealistic painting is to is to really try to keep the viewer a little unbalanced. <laughs> like I am. <laughs> nice. I'm a lot unbalanced. So what um what book cover are you working on? Is that something you can say? I'm not sure I, I can uh, announce it yet, uh, but it's a crazy cover. It's really fun, and it, I'm looking forward to doing it. I can tell you that the cover I did before this is um, uh, called um, Dark Ventures, which is a – uh, a great dark fantasy series, a new book in a, in a series uh, of the adventures of Ganji, um, a Japanese uh, hero. Uh, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a terrific series by uh, Ted Rapel. And it's really, uh, it was just a terrific read. I was really caught up in it and, um, uh, and had a lot of fun with the cover. Um, and you can find that on that's been I, I posted that and he's been posting it too very cool and you also um i don't know if you write it as well as do the art i've seen the art for um steam wars yeah steam wars is is one of my pet projects and and that's um something i've been working on for a while um and uh in the last couple of years partnered with uh i've partnered with uh Jarek media uh, and the first three issues of a Steam Wars graphic novel has come out. And that's available now, in fact, on iTunes and, and Amazon. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> All those links will be in the notes. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Steam Wars is um, it's a lot of fun. It's very different from, from anyone who knows me from Lost Skeleton and stuff. It's very, very different. It's more of a serious story. Yeah, it's... It is, but there's a lot, there's humor in it, but it's more like the kind of humor you'd find in a swashbuckler in a, in a pulp adventure. Uh, and, um, um, it's, it's really a, an epic kind of action series set in 1897. 
and uh, we follow the crew of uh, the, the heroes of the crew of a of, a, of, a, of this fighting steam rig, which is basically this large, you know, metallic warrior powered by a crew and driven by coal. You know, so nice. it's kind of fun. I like I, I like steampunk, and I like I, I like the the less fantastic aspects of it. I, I like it. Mine, I think this is a little earthier than a lot of steampunk, uh, for good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is totally. Well, this is an adjacent subject. Are you familiar with the rap artist Professor Elemental? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think so. Just for your own edification, you might want to check him out because he he does steampunk rap. It mostly sounds like the music's out of the 20s. And he does stuff like his ape butler got lost in time, so the whole album is him going to different places in time looking for his orangutan. And he also has that general, like, like there will be fighting, violence, whatever, in his stories, but you always come away with this, like, positive, like, almost hopeful feel out of his silliness through sci-fi, and I can see the two of you connecting on a similar vibe. But let's move on. And <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Christopher, that sounds too weird for me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I kid. I nice. Kid. I, I, I'm, it sounds cool. Well, talking about swashbuckling, you also wrote one of the most performed Robin Hood plays, correct? No, not one of them. I wrote the most performed. Nice. Right, Christopher, for gosh sakes, man. Um, uh, yeah, no, my, yeah, I am very, very, very pleased and, and grateful to say that my Robin Hood play is the, is the most performed. And, and, you know, mostly by schools, but, you know, it's been performed literally all over the world. Uh, China, uh, Germany, uh, Africa. I mean, it's it's uh, it's gotten around. Uh, it was published in '91, I think. And um, basically, I had originally written it for the Open Door Theater. I was uh, working with this company that in, in the Boston area, and it was outdoors in a park. We had this it was this great location and. I kind of cut my teeth there as far as theater goes, and I learned acting. I learned writing and directing, and and, and, um, and it seemed perfect to do Robin Hood there in this uh, rustic setting. And I so I, I, I wrote Robin Hood. I played the lead role. And um, uh, uh, it turned out there really wasn't a good published play of Robin Hood, but there was a demand for it. And so uh, it, it was uh, published by Baker's Plays, since uh, taken over by uh, Samuel French, uh, uh, and it's repped by French. And they, you know, we do a really good business from it. I mean, it's 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 performed uh, uh, many many times every year, and and it's uh, it's pretty cool. That is fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's it's really kind of neat too because. And and if you if you if you look online if you um, do a little bit of a search you'll find videos a little bit of cl- you know clips net from different high school productions and stuff that students have, have have posted 
And it's really neat. I mean, it's fun to see kids uh, learning, you know, to act and have fun on stage with your with your script. I mean, that's a great feeling. That I bet that that's incredible. I'm I actually know that if you look a lot, you can find the full performance, and I am planning on checking it out because I. When I'm not talking monsters, I also run a theater group. So, oh, cool! I, I was excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Now, with Robin Hood and the things like the things I see you post on Facebook and the work you do, I feel like you are like working constantly and watching classic film constantly. Like that seems to be the error you're part of. Yeah, I, I, I um. Well, I, I, I do, um, enjoy classic film, but it's funny because I, I enjoy obscure films more than, I, you couldn't, you could not, you could not tie me to a chair and get me to watch Gone with the Wind. But <laughs> I saw it once, I don't need to see that again. Um, there's a lot of classic films that I'm really not interested in. Uh, and, and, um, I, I tend to be more interested in stuff that's a little uh, more offbeat, you know, um, and uh, which includes westerns and film noir and, and and the movies that aren't talked about quite so much. I'm a little less mainstream than I think a lot of classic classical film enthusiasts. Um, and but, I realize uh, this is totally putting you on the spot, but could you give us three titles that you think? Somebody investigating, like, the lesser-known films, three titles that you think they really should check out? Sure. Um, if you're a Western fan, Day of the Outlaw, because it's it's becoming more and more. And it, it, there's a Blu-ray, uh, Region uh, 2, uh, Region B, or whatever they call it. It's, it's in, you know, in Europe, and I, I, wish, I wish there was a Blu-ray. You can get it on DVD here, but there's not a Blu-ray of it. Because there's some appreciations on there and some really good extras. Day of the Outlaw, directed by Andre Dutoth, 1959. Great, great Western. It just gets better every time I see it. Um, and uh, I'll tell you a film I just discovered, actually, uh, that I've been wanting to see for years is Rolling Thunder, starring William Devane, directed by John Flynn, late 70s film. I, th- I thought it was amazing. And um, Is Rolling Thunder about trucks? Rolling Thunder is about a um, a Vietnam vet played by William Devane and uh, and actually his buddy Tommy Lee Jones, a, a very early performance. Oh wow! Uh, they get back from from Vietnam and and um, Devane's family is killed by uh, some thugs who are looking for some money. And it's on the surface, it's a revenge film. Uh, and it's pretty tough at times. It's pretty tough to watch. Uh, but the performances are amazing, and there's a lot more going on there than just a revenge film. I thought it was outstanding, and and uh, I highly recommend it. Um, and the, 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 if you see the poster for it, they play up the gimmick of, well, gimmick sounds true, <laughs> but it's his, his, he loses the thugs, because of the thugs, he loses a hand. I won't tell you what they do. But he loses a hand, and um, and he has to, you know, have a hook to replace it, and that's kind of they use that on the poster and stuff, and uh, you know, and it figures that hook figures into his revenge. But uh, I won't say any more about that. But it's it's 
it's incredible. I thought it was a really amazing film. Um, probably my fi- two favorite movies of all time are Blow Up, the Antonioni film, uh, 60s film, uh, which just is, is an amazing experience. I, I think it's an incredible film. And a film called um, Wanda, uh, which was um, – which is starting to get more and more play. It shows up on Turner Classic Movies, uh, which, uh, which I'm, I'm, I was very glad to see. And so it's starting to get some more attention. And it is so low key. It's, it was made, it was written and directed and starring Barbara Loden. It was the only movie she made. She died young. And, um, uh, she was married to, um, Elia Kazan and, it's an incredible film about this woman drifting from one thing to another aimlessly. And it really defies description. It defies analysis in a way. And it's an incredible experience. I, I find it to be an amazing film. Um, those, so those, are, I, I, those might be my two favorite films. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I'd heard a... Um... There, there's a musician, Glenn Galaxy, who talked about how you just know you're a product of what you're into. So he would do things like um, re-edit music and make these one-hour mixes of stuff nobody's ever heard because he cut it all up and made it just unusual. And therefore, he thinks his output will be more original because what he's putting in is just stuff nobody's ever heard of. And I wonder if that's part of, like, you're finding these things that most people aren't familiar with. And then, so your spin on, you're, you have an original spin on something that's original to most people. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of favored the underdog and I've, I and I look at movies in in a way like that too uh and I like I, I love nothing more than discovering a, a, a neglected film or a film that just isn't known that well you know and uh and and and, and it's it's like finding gold I mean it's just it's really right. cool you know um and then I get you know and I get I get a little tired of the films that are considered classics all the time and um uh, and, you know, I, I just, I always like things a little off the beaten track, but I guess that's obvious. Which is kind of funny because that's like, I mean, there's been times I've just carried the Lost Skeleton movies around in my backpack to show them to people because <laughs> I just knew they have never seen anything like this and they need to. Do not cross a, stri- a state line with those, by the way. <laughs> be careful of that, please. I've got a false bat bottom in the bag now for him. Yeah, okay, I, I bet. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So right now, um, you're working on more Big Dan Fraser. Anything else coming? Uh, Freighter, Big Dan Freighter. Sorry. <laughs> you're thinking of Big Joe Fraser, the boxer. Um, yeah, uh, Big Dan Freighter. I'm working. On, you know, I started work on another novel. I, you know, finishing my first novel, it was, it was very exciting and I still had adrenaline, you know, writing adrenaline. So I wrote three chapters of the next one. I was like, yeah, I'm going to write the next one right away. But then yeah, I got caught up with assignments and, you know, I had to do a gig here and there or whatever because that's life. And, 
And um, so I haven't been able to get back to the second novel yet, uh, which I really would like to do because it was a lot of fun writing that first one, and the response has been very nice. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to do more of those. And I've got um, I've got the paintings coming up, and I'm also working um, on uh, a Lost Skeleton, the musical. You're kidding. Really? <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm working with a couple of guys, a couple of New York-based guys who are multi-talented, uh, Joe Barros and Vince Peterson, and they um, they have a lot of experience in musicals, and and uh, and we're kind of working on it slowly but surely, and uh, trying to keep it as true to the the film as possible. Um, and I'm I'm excited about it, but uh, you know it's 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 a process, so uh, I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to take, but we'll get there. That, because the one thing that is missing from your work is an album of songs. So that is fantastic. <laughs> what kind of do you, do you know? Like, are you at the point where you, what kind of sound are the songs going to be? Well, I, I can't really be too specific about that. Except okay. <laughs> that it's going to. On the one hand, it's going to sound like a Broadway musical. But on the other hand, it, we're going to spoof Broadway musicals at the same time, just a little bit, you know. So um, because it's really hard to do, put Lost Skeleton on sca- stage and and not and not have a, a little bit of tongue in cheek about about <laughs> the musical itself, about the very form itself. You know what I mean? Exactly. Wow. Well, you've now given me like bright, shiny spots in my future to look forward to. That is amazing. That's what I'm all about. That's what I'm all about. I'm giving you bright, shiny future spots, man. <laughs> what so, I live for. Where can listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me... Well, the best thing to... I'm uh, on Twitter um, uh, and uh, under my own name, and uh, which I cleverly came up with them and also on um, on Facebook I have a, a, a public Facebook fa- page fan page and and those are probably the two best places to keep up with with me and my zany doings excellent so we'll give people those links so because oh and also yeah I'm sorry the the uh, you have the I think you have the adventure book of big Dan freighter uh, web page link too don't you yeah big Dan freighter.com yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. I will put all those links below so everybody can find you. And listeners, you need to go and at least look at the art because it you have not seen anything like this and you need to. Thank you so much, Larry, for talking to us yes, thank again. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate it. Well, thanks. So, you know, we got it right this time, right? I, I, you know, that for the first time we tried it, we had the technical difficulty. It's just as well because everything I said was stupid. <laughs> It's like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? What an idiot. Shut up. Thank you so much, Larry, and thank you, dear listener, for joining us once again on Beware of Monsters. There will not be an episode next time, but you can still go through our vast back catalog of interviews and shows, which I at one point was 
going to like thank everybody who had been involved with the show and like do this list and i just have to say emotionally i can't record that i've tried it a few times but i do want to thank everybody who's listened everybody who's shared everybody who's been on the show and i want to thank jeremy robinson for putting this together producing this and making this happen so be sure to visit bewareofmonsters.com you can click on the podcast link and see everything there you can also click subscribe to the email list and you will get a free ebook um right now it's um project nemesis which is amazing and you can come visit us on facebook.com slash bombpod bombpod at gmail.com and as always beware of monsters is presented by jeremy robinson hosted by christopher willette and features the music of blaster the rocket man mercury radio theater and professor elemental Okay, so the podcast's over. I probably can't live in this studio anymore. Hey, yeah, sorry I missed you. Um, can you give me a call back? Listen, um, I was wondering, um, do you still run a podcast, um... Yeah, I was just hoping you might need, you know, a guest or a co-host or something if I could, you know, crash on your couch for a little while. Okay, give me a call. Uh, GPS. In 600 feet, turn left at the Rue Say. The Rue Say? Hey. Bizarre Manor is for sale. Okay, this is going to need a lot of dusting, but could probably put a microphone over there and invite a bunch of people to come and talk about sci-fi and fantasy and superheroes and creatures and things like that. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to update my business cards. Welcome to Bizarre Manor.